Welcome to Dragon Talk. How's it going? Super! We are here. I'm Greg Tito. I am Shelly Mazenoble. And we are here to introduce an amazing Dragon Talk episode for all of you. So good. We are going to talk to Devin Rue, who is a fantastic car- fantasy cartographer. Uh, I have been a fan of hers on uh, the social medias for a long time. She's got I skills. I am extremely jealous of her skills uh, as a... Extremely amateur uh, map maker in my youth. Uh, I am. I am just. I'm amazed at what she's able to put together. So I can't wait to talk to her about all of. I think she teaches too. Yeah, she does streams of her doing it. Yeah. It's amazing. So I can't wait to get uh, at to the heart of of what makes all that talent work. Uh, and it is also her birthday. Yay! So I will be wishing her as well as my co-host Shelly happy birthday. Yay! We could not have planned this better. Oh, I think we did plan it perfectly. I know. I almost knew did it you all. Know? No, I didn't know that until. You, you didn't even know it was my birthday. <laughs> I didn't even know it was your birthday. It's crazy. Mm. Um, and then, of course, we will have uh, a a uh, a segment uh, for you uh, as well. A special segment. A special segment with Mike Merrill doing some Lori Chanel. Yeah. Um, so, do we have anything fun to announce uh, for? Our stuff, we, it's in a strange month where we're all getting ready to announce. Uh, yes, we can't yes. say anything just no. yet. Um, we've been super busy here in the Dungeons & Dragons and Avalon Hill office. Very busy. Yeah. So um, much happening. So much happening. Like just the last few weeks, things have been confirmed. There's like playtesting happening. And we just can't talk about it. There is uh, plans for future events happening. There are contracts Routing. There's so many routings. <laughs> They're taking a router to it and yep. just like carving off the edges. Yes, that kind of routing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but we are having fun uh, with you know recording all the new episodes of Dragon Talk. So thank you for watching us do this live on uh, Twitch. Uh, we do that on Fridays now on twitch.tv slash DND. And uh, we are getting all kinds of data about what is happening for you as the listeners out there. So uh, if you uh, want to tell your friends about what is happening with Dragon Talk, now is the time to do it in order to uh, kind of make sure that the success of the podcast goes forward. So uh, we haven't really talked about this a lot, but you know, write some reviews, uh, uh, you know, get the word out about uh, this podcast if you, if you seem to enjoy it, which you know, most of you seem to, which is great. If you're listening. If you're listening, if you're not skipping ahead, you probably uh, are, are big fans. So uh, tell your friends. Let everybody know. Uh, now is the time that would be extremely useful for us to have as many listeners as possible. What's happening? You're starting to scare me. I just no. I mean, I want. Uh, I want. You know, th- it's a good things. All good things. We want to grow. We want to grow. Yes, exactly. Share the D and D love. You know, I haven't really been talking about us growing as just a podcast in a long time, so I want to make sure we don't get that out there. Okay. Right. Mostly for Ryan. This is for all for Ryan. It is. We got to save Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> oh no! You've never heard that before, have you? Did you? No. I feel like that's kind of original. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I've never said it before. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm playing through Waterdeep Dragon Heist still right now, hopefully to get into uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. <laughs> oh, sorry. Probably in a few months. Uh, we're not we're not quite super fast through all of the content. There is a lot of fun like side quests and things to go on in Dragon Heist. Are you DMing? Heist, so, and I'm DMing. That's right. This is the, the, I want you to have Beetle and Grimm's uh, stuff here for you to be able to start playing. Friday night. No, actually, no, we changed it. We're doing Monday nights. Oh, Monday nights? Monday nights. So That's The Bachelor. <sighs> when I is mean, that show going to get canceled? Never. 
Dang it. It's like season 47 now at this point, yeah. right? 23. Uh, it's like, you know, <laughs> cut it in half and double it. That was actually really good. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Uh, so has it been good? No. Yeah. No. I don't like this Bachelor. You say that about every single season. I guess I'm just, like, they should just let me pick. Right. And then you won't have anything to complain about. No. I don't, yeah. it's don't, it's just, eh. Yeah. 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 I hear you. But I still watch it. You, you, you're, you're a hate watcher. I feel like it's going to get better. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I don't think it is. I think it might. Uh, but uh, I've had a lot of fun um, during Bachelor season uh, putting on my headphones and yeah. not paying attention to it. So as Aaron's much as I still can. watching? Aaron is still watching. Okay, good. It's true. we need to discuss. Yes. There is, there's a lot going on there. There really is. I'm sure. I don't know if you were aware, but there was a heated Bachelor discussion in our on our on our team yesterday. No, I missed that. Oh, I'm sorry you missed it. I am sorry too. <laughs> there was like a very um, big discussion about, oh. about this season's Bachelor between three people. Nice. Who are those three people? Are you at liberty can to I, say? Can I out them? Sure. Me. Yes. Kate Irwin. Yes. And Ben Petrosor. And Ben Petrosor. One of the best things about Ben. It is one of the best things about Ben. Yeah. He is all in. There is a a debate this this season's Bachelor. Is a virgin. Yes. Ben doesn't believe him. Really? Right. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he thinks that's a, a stick. But mm. like Kate said, if that wasn't true, somebody would come out and be like, "Oh, uh, that's not true." <laughs> like some nobody's saying that. Yeah. Nobody's rolling enough insight checks to yeah. be able to figure out whether he's being truthful or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to tell you that it's not real, probably at all. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't none think of it, it. I think it's kind of a pointless Do discussion. Do you mean none of it? Like he's an actor? Yes, I think they're all actors at this point. Everybody, like maybe season one, it was taking out face I value. Will, I, yes, there are some some fakey fakes that, as we say in Bachelor Nation, are not there for the right reasons. Yes, definitely. No one is there for but the right reason, them, as far as I can tell. I mean, they they really seem genuinely hurt if he doesn't pick them. You're you you have some some experience with acting. I thought you were going to say with not being picked. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. So it's, uh, it's entirely possible that if it's all smoke and mirrors. If these people were actors, how come we never see them in anything ever again? Because they're not good actors. But they are. They in, would have to be good context, actors. In that context, I guess you're right. You got a point there. Um, but they're, you know, they're not winning any Emmys, if you know what I mean. No. Uh, all right. Well, I feel like I am cursed with having to discuss Bachelor Just twice every one a of year these. we have to have these discussions. <laughs> for, you know, a good six months. And I apologize uh, to, for, for my persnickiness. I don't care. It. What do you like to watch? Uh, I've been rewatching Game of Thrones, actually. Yeah. Getting into preparing for that last season, which is uh, going to be coming in April. Hmm. Yeah. I want to get it all in, in fresh in my brain so that I... Everybody. <laughs> Spoiler. The ship goes down <laughs> at the end. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. They're also all ghosts. The whole time? The whole time. Oh, my God. It's true. Major spoiler. Uh, so that's been me, and then as well as watching uh, uh, Star Trek, the new uh, season of Star Trek Discovery is out Really? There. Yeah, I've been really into that. Huh. Yeah, good stuff all around. Cool. Yeah. Um, and that's totally real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of that. Very real. I guess I can't really make fun of. I was hoping you would. I've said like Murder She Wrote or something. Uh, Murder She Wrote's a, a quality show. That is a hundred percent not true. Oh, Angela Lansbury. I, she's so annoying. 
Wow. My mom used to watch that show, and it was like nails on a chalkboard. I would hear that little voice coming out of the living room. Wow. Like, turn it off. Did you turn watch TV. Bed Knobs and Broomsticks when you were a kid? No. Oh, see, that was Angela Lansbury. Uh, uh, like, that's why I loved her, was because this was like really? this weird Disney live action fantasy movie. Um, and it was great. Did you really watch Murder She Wrote? And then we would watch Murder She Wrote, yeah. I used to watch Touched by an Angel. Which I always thought was a very unfortunate name for a show. Good touch. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Implied. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone else? No, one, no one else watched Ryan? that. What a Highway to Heaven. Um, I watched Highway to oh, Heaven. Oh, Michael Landon. Michael Landon. Yeah. Yeah, that was it's good. Um, we were watching randomly on Netflix. There's a <laughs> Anne of Green Gables, uh, you know, remake again. But I believe Michael Landon's son is uh, a writer or a director on it. Really? Yeah, and I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Oh, yeah, nice. Either that or the, someone else named Landon. That's not possible. <laughs> That's not possible I don't think in so. show business. It's, no. it's possible. No. All right, we digress uh, as we do here on these Dragon Talk intros, uh, but let's throw it to our amazing segment. Uh, first time Mike Merle's on Lore You Should Know. All right. It's going to be amazing. Chris Perkins better watch out. I know, right? Yeah. It's happening. All right. Let's take a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment where uh, we talk about little bits of D&D lore for use in your game or just for funzos so you learn more about it. I am here with a new uh, person, someone that you've never heard of before, Mr. Mike Merles. Making my Dungeons & Dragons online streaming debut for 2019, actually. I think this is the first time I've been on any of our official things. That's right. I'd, I'd recorded a podcast, uh, the Smart Party podcast, earlier this week. Yeah. But this is like my first time being back in the friendly confines. That's of- right. The, the kind of corner of the building where these rooms are where we, where we stream and record. So. And you'll be getting back into uh, Mike Merle's Happy Fun Hour uh, in the, the coming months. You've, you've been a little yeah. busy. Oh, I've been a little busy. I think it's, it's two or three weeks. I can't remember. I'm going, I'm going to a conference the week of the 11th. I think it's the following week or the week after that I start back up again. Perfect. I know so. people really love uh, those live streams, but yeah. we are happy to have you here talking about lore because you, uh, you know, like Chris Perkins, is, is, hold a lot of that in your head. Yes. There's a fair amount up here. Uh, we have we have had many a conversation about all that, and uh, for today's segment, we're going to be talking about Greyhawk. Yes, the, the world of setting Greyhawk. in general. Yeah. Uh, you know, which which is, we have to say the setting because there is Castle Greyhawk. Yep. There's the nation city state of Greyhawk, the free city. Yes, of Greyhawk. Yes, uh, and uh, yeah. So let's start at the beginning. When when was Greyhawk uh, created to a certain extent? So. Uh, I will get the details wrong, but <laughs> in in essence, it was the first D and D campaign setting in which someone actually played D and D, as we know it. Dave Arneson had Blackmore, right. where he, which existed before Greyhawk, um, he was working through his rules. But it was really like when Gary got his hands on that concept and started like distilling it down to what we would recognize as Dungeons and Dragons today, mm-hmm. uh, really drawing on like the chainmail rules and a lot of the concepts that he was playing with based off of Dave's work. But so you could, you could say it's basically the first time that you had this idea of tabletop role playing, uh, really coming into like this, a setting being built with the tropes that you would, associate with a D&D setting. Like, so for instance, Dave Arneson had Blackmore, but if I remember right, like his players played themselves being mm. like pulled into this fantasy world. 
Uh, Blackmore, he had these these ideas of like some of the players played the monsters. Mm. So there's actually a player who was a vampire. I see. Who was in the dungeon, right. you know, and things like that. So it was sort of like that first take of role playing. But you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you don't normally have a player playing the opposition. Things like that, right? So, so with 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 Greyhawk, uh, there was a published product down the down the road. But in 1974, when those first manuals were were, were being released, um, 45 years ago, yeah, uh, was Greyhawk's the implied setting? Kind of. I think the idea of a setting, they weren't really sure what that meant back then. Yeah. Um, I think it was one of those things that coalesced because while the game came out in 74, the, one of, there was an expansion called Greyhawk, which I believe was the first expansion. I think Blackmore came second. And the idea was, here's an expansion. It's being called Greyhawk because this is the Greyhawk campaign, mm-hmm. which back then I think would have been more this idea of like the dungeon that Gary ran right. and maybe some of the rules he used and some of the concepts. You know, it's kind of foggy. It's not – I mean, if you'd say to someone, it's the Greyhawk expansion for D&D, today they'd think, oh, it's the setting mm-hmm. and it's the stuff I need to run that setting. But really back then it was more just like a kind of collection of stuff you know, new monsters, new classes. Um, there were some references to his campaign, but it wasn't like, here's the world and here's the dungeon. Yeah. You know. It was more used as examples of like how these rules could be used in play. Not even that. It was more just like, here's a new class. Here's some oh. new spells. Oh, okay. Here's some new monsters, that, right? It's, yeah. That it's he had very, just come up through play. Yeah. And then oh, in yeah. describing those, some flavor from that world came in. Somewhat, yeah. But it's still, it's not quite where you'd expect. It wasn't like... It wasn't as I mean the idea of world building wasn't something that was for games right didn't really exist back then. So when do you think that that did happen? When do you think that coalesced so, into a, a setting? Yeah, you saw really in the pages of Dragon Magazine, mm-hmm. um, you saw some of that come through. And then as a product, it wasn't until I mean eight, six years later, I think it was 1980, okay. the first actual product, the World of Greyhawk Folio came out, which was a gray box. No, that was this was a folder that had these beautiful maps by the uh, the artist Darlene. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so if you're a Greyhawk fan, you, those maps are iconic. If you're not a Greyhawk fan, you're missing out. <laughs> the um, and it was the first time TSR like really printed like here's a map of the world mm-hmm. and here's some notes on what this world like what's here in this world. So you think that's six years after the game first appeared? Um, AD and D has already been released in its entirety. Oh, okay. And now we're just showing you what is what the setting looks like. The um, and there were references to it, you know, like in adventures like the Tomb of Horrors, they would they would refer to the to the world of Greyhawk, mm-hmm. drawing on some of the proper names. Um, and then I think the there was a box set that then came out afterward. I want to say that was 1983. Okay. The uh, my year might be off, like one or you know, I'm pretty sure it was post 82. It may have been 83 or 84, but I'm. I'm Fairly certain it was eighty three, and that's the the gray box. No, right? no, it's so the gray box. That's Forgotten oh, Realms. See, oh, I'm all sorry. The Greyhawk fans out there are just like they get a little. They're probably seething a bit because <laughs> no, we don't care. <laughs> the many, that's that's my role is <laughs> is to get it wrong so that you can get it right. No, the the the, the gray box that was the first Forgotten Realms box. Set my bad. from eighty seven. Okay. So yeah. So, so but there was a box set that was that was Greyhawk yeah. and so it had I think of it as the brown box, kinda of had this brown green box. treatments of sorts. The um and that had that repeated the, the maps, the Darling maps from the folio. Got it. And then it included more information. It expanded on the text of the folio. The um and that was my first exposure to the setting was that box set. The um I would have bought that around eighty six or so, I think, if I remember right. Okay. So and that was where, you know, people kind of got the idea of a setting in general. But what was it about Greyhawk that, that, that 
you know, was the uh, uh, the elevator pitch? Like, what what made Greyhawk so Greyhawk? That's what's interesting about it. So uh, there is a lot. Greyhawk is a world with a long history and a lot of different perspectives on it. So what I'm offering up to you now is my perspective. Right. If you're a huge Greyhawk fan, there is a chance you might like what I'm about to say. There's a chance you're going to hate what I'm about to say. <laughs> but I hope that I'm getting across why I love Greyhawk, why it's my favorite setting, and why it should be your favorite setting too. But it all goes back to the person who created the setting, Gary mm-hmm. Gygax. Right. Gary Gygax was an incredibly imaginative guy. Um, he created this concept of a role-playing game, you know, in concert with Dave Arneson, right? And I like to think of it as Dave was, like, the guy who just did it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he was like, I need to, I got some friends over, they want to play a game. We've played these sort of war games that have this sort of acting element to it and hidden information. Let's, what if we did it in a fantasy setting, right? And he's just sort of making it up as he goes along. Mm-hmm. Gary's genius was, he was an infrastructurist. He could look at what Dave was doing play that game with Dave and then think here's how we can make this into an actual game with actual rules. Mm. Because I, I believe that Dave in the truest tradition of Dungeon Masters was often making it up as he went. Right. So his genius was the genius of seeing like here's a possibility and Gygax's genius was the genius of building the foundations and the structures. And that to me shines through in the Greyhawk box set, the original. When you look at this text... With a modern eye, you might see a lot of information that you'd like, this, why are you putting this here? I have my iPad here. I have the PDF of one of the two booklets in that box that's open. Mm-hmm. And in it, there is a map of the continent that is detailed in the set. And it shows you the migration patterns of all these different human groups. And you'd think like, wow, what a boring topic <laughs> for a fantasy game. But then you're missing the real genius of Gygax. And the genius of Gygax is... Being a very creative guy who liked creating structure and then himself just playing with that structure or letting other people play with it. Right. When you look at this, you could look at this and think, wow, this is just boring. It shows you where people migrated. But then when you look at it as a storyteller, you think, oh, this is showing me where all the fault lines of conflict rest. Yeah. Because these are all these different human groups that are migrating and coming into contact with each other and then spawning factions, spawning conflicts, spawning the history of our world. But what Gygax does is he doesn't lead you by the nose to it. Mm. He puts this stuff out here, and then I think he was basically writing for someone who was a creator in the way he was, which was, take, give me the pieces, and then I will tie them together. I don't need you to be very explicit about how these go together. Give me opportunities and give me possibilities and then I'll fill them in with what I feel like running that day. Makes sense. You know, here's the infrastructure, but the actual story we're going to create at the gaming table. We're not going to create it in this product because why would I do that? Like, you're here to tell a story. I'm not just going to give you a story. You're going to make the story that's going to come out when you interact with the setting I built for you. I put the pieces into play. Now's your chance. So what we're... That 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 I, that is really fascinating because I feel like he's combining history and gaming and war gaming and and this new thing of tabletop role playing all in this 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 one product. Yeah. Um. But I'm really interested. I mean, as someone who loves all those things, what were some of those factions? What were some of those things that that so, are iconic Greyhawk type things? Here is a good example. I'm going to flip through. Okay. Because one thing you don't do with Greyhawk fans when you're talking about their setting is get the details wrong. <laughs> it's very much Greyhawk is very much a religion of the book. So I want to talk a little bit about Ayus. Okay. Ayus is a figure who's very interesting. He's a Cambian, uh, half demon lord, half son of one of the most powerful uh, spellcasters in the history of the Dungeons and Dragons universe, mm-hmm. uh, Igwilv. Uh, I think also known as Tasha, but that's not 100% confirmed. 
So I use is a, to just really summarize him, he's this, almost this kind of Sauron-like figure. Got it. Um, he rules this kingdom in the northern uh, part of the continent. Uh, it's his land. He rules over it. But what's interesting about this is when you look through this text, it talks a little bit about the history. There are things here like, for a time, the land was leaderless, for Ayus himself was missing. For many decades, the evil of the place was in relative quietude for lack of evil direction, and the neighbors of good, il- good ilk prospered. What Gygax is shutting up here is something that for you to build on, mm. right? He doesn't come through and then say all the implications of that statement. He just puts it out there. And then it goes on to describe how Ayus had been trapped by the Mad Mage and was then subsequently released. So he's back. Which Mad Mage? Uh, Zagig. Ah. Yeah, in Castle Greyhawk. The All right, so, original yes. dungeon. So, Greyhawk, so yeah, talk a little bit about that. What's, what is Castle, well, Castle Greyhawk? I'll get to that in a sec. Okay. Because I want to finish my thought here. What this does is, in a lot of modern worlds, we would then tell you, here's what Ayus wants to do. Here are his enemies. Here's what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Gary just stops there. Because you're, what he wants you to do is look at this and go, okay, so it's this evil land. The ruler was gone. And now he's suddenly come back. And Gary, being a student of history, would then think back, well, here's the, there are parallels here to other things that have happened. So here's what I think could happen next. He doesn't tell you what's going to happen next, though, because mm-hmm. he expects you as a creator and as a dungeon master, and he can, he's kind of thinking you work in his mold. You're going to draw upon your own things you've read and research and ideas to say, oh, this is really interesting. So I have a lot of stories I can tell here. We have this like you know, iron-fisted ruler who is missing, so maybe all these satrapies have kind of evolved. And maybe there's these alliances that have formed, and he now has rivals that have risen up. And now he's back and bringing this back under his iron-fisted rule. Oh, there's a lot of interesting stories there. What does it mean for his relationships with these kingdoms that were prospering, mm. but now he's back? Is it a hidden threat? Is it an overt threat? I get to decide. I get to decide. That, dungeon master. Exactly. Right, Maybe so he's my, giving you the building blocks. Exactly. Maybe in my take on this, Ayus comes back in secret. Yeah. And he's donned some sort of disguise and is taking the lay of the land and he's going to very carefully and calculatingly swoop in. Maybe he, if I'm running a campaign, it starts out, the players have a patron who's hiring them to make vo- you know, uh, expeditions into the former lands of Ayus mm-hmm. and take out guys or scout out things or find items. You don't realize you're actually working for Ayus. So it, you, you know, things like that. Right. Or it's Ayus comes in and just in one fell swoop, you know, takes control, hoists his flag, and then now it's all out war overnight. None of the neighboring realms are ready. It's a massive bloodbath. Now what do the players do? Right. He's letting you decide. But then that was that, was that product, right? But yeah. then there, going forward, there was an established kind of history of what did happen with well, Ayus and things like that from novels and other and settings. now we get to the- Right? Yeah, the rub. So this is where I can out myself as a great hawk. Maybe a heretic, or maybe I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'm uh, an apostate or I'm a, a, an apostle. I don't really, and I respect, like, really super talented people came afterward. Like Carl Sargent, who is a super talented guy, uh, just passed away last year, unfortunately, did some great work with Greyhawk. But to me, what's interesting about the setting is the fact that we are put on the, right on the edge of a massive event. mm and then we step back and say, now, Dungeon Master, it's your playground. So it's great, the stuff that came out of here. There was a, a later box set called From the Ashes, which then posited, well, here's what happens the next few years. It's a huge war. Right. And it changes the setting in some ways. Now here's where things are set up. Uh, there's the City of Greyhawk box set, which the City of Greyhawk was one of Gary's creations, but they, they didn't have access to Gary's notes or the desire to publish them. I don't know quite. I think it's a little bit of both. 
uh, and so Doug Niles, um, and I think I think Carl Sargent worked on that product too, mm-hmm. uh, fleshed out the city. And that product is wonderful. I actually love the City of Greyhawk box set. It's one of my favorite D&D uh, uh, supplements. supplements. It's, has, it's so comprehensive. It has so many story ideas, so many great techniques. But I am also at the same time thinking, yeah, but how much <laughs> of that do I actually do I accept as like this is what Greyhawk is, yeah. right? Maybe that one I'm a little bit more open to because it was a part that wasn't detailed too much here. In the well, yeah, book. and maybe this is a different, uh, uh, you know, uh, as 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 part of uh, of D and D historians and lore, it's like whatever is published, you got to be like, yeah. oh, this was this is what's published, and then what's out there, and we can, you know, yeah. obviously Dungeon Masters will always change and shift it around based on on on, on what happens at their uh, table, and that obviously did happen back in the '80s exactly. as much as it does now. Yeah, with you know Waterdeep Dragon Heist, like yeah. people are always just it's whatever their story is, right? Exactly. But it always goes, at least in my mind, it goes back to what was published and what is down. Yeah, you know, that's kind of like you know how uh, the canon. Yeah, know, quote unquote. See, I'm not a fan of canon, which is funny <laughs> being in my job. But we actually have, like, you know, the, we have a basically right. an operating rule of canon. Yeah. Uh, canon is determined by the dungeon master. Sure. And for us, we just try to focus on the most iconic elements, the things that we know, like, look, if you've heard of this, this is what you think about it. Yeah. We don't want to get too caught up in talking about the details. Right. And I think that's also why I love Greyhawk so much, because the Greyhawk. My design is like, I'm going to take and take what I like and ignore the rest. I'm going to change things. I'm going to decide in my campaign I use is just, it's a blood, but he is just out for war. He shows up with the legions of the abyss at his beck and call. And he is, you know, by the time the forces of good or even know what's hit them, he's halfway to the great kingdom marching and conquering everything in his path. But there are That's my campaign. There's definitely you know? those type of fans that love to just read what the canon is yeah. and know oh, what yeah. the, the no, canon is. Definitely, and, yeah, that, and let's talk through some of that because I think that's what's, what's going to be of interest to people who are listening to this, this segment is like, what, what yeah. is there? And then they can make up whatever they want oh, afterwards, yeah, yeah. totally after that. But, you know, so, so you know, you've got Ayus who's in the north uh, and you've got Castle Greyhawk and you mentioned the good aligned kind of yeah. nations around them. If, if my memory is that they're kind of analogous to Western Europe, sort of like there is uh, there's uh, in the northwest we have Ket. So this is again another interesting thing about Greyhawk. It's very human driven. Mm-hmm. So you have the Kingdom of Ket, which is in the northwest yeah. of our our, our our main continent, um, and you would like are they enemies of Ayus? Kind of yes, kind of no, mm-hmm. uh, because between them there are. Um, there's Perrinlin, there's a few other kingdoms around in there, and there's very much geopolitics are the important thing. So you have kingdoms like Voluna and Feriandi that are good aligned, but Gary always had the sense, being a student of history, that while kingdoms can both, they can be good, they're still politically motivated and they're yeah. still self-focused. And they want their own power. They want their own power. Right. So it's not just like the Kedites are like, well, that's a demon, that's a Cambian ruling over there. Oh, of course, that's the bad guy. No, they're like, well... Enemy of my enemy, right? So yeah. maybe we help him out if it's worth it to us. You know, you can imagine every kingdom in Greyhawk, even the good ones, they always have a dagger hidden behind their back just in case. Yeah. You know, there's always that. There's Because the weight of history is very They only trust you so city. far. Exactly. So what would be the character of Ket, though, if you, if you were to, you know, to, to give it a, a, a summary? So the way I always thought of Ket is there, it's, it's got an element of being an outsider kingdom. When you go back to the history of the setting... There was a lot of fantasy settings have the iconic cataclysm. Here's why things are the way they are today. Yeah, and there was a uh, an, a war between um, the um, and I'm going to get these names wrong, um, but there's the Sul Imperium, and I think it was the Baklunish Empire, yes. maybe an empire or not. If right. um, Ket sits where the uh, Baklunish Empire once sat, ah. so that's their tradition. 
So they look to the south and east and see a bunch of their enemies, right? That's mm-hmm. where the Sul were. And they would tell you the Sul Imperium was the one who called down the invoked devastation and d- destroyed the world. The Sul would tell you the Bakluni called down the reign of colorless fire, which destroyed our empire. So it's mm-hmm. their fault, right? right. So well, that's ha- a really important event, that cataclysm. And that was the one thing that I always latched on to that setting. And that's why the West of, you know, we're talking about the eastern part of this continent that is on the, the sea. The West is all wasteland. Yeah, it's wasteland. Because of yep. this exactly. conflict, yeah, the that reign of, of colorless fire, right? Yep. And so what's fun is then you have these kingdoms that remember this, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's why that, that migration pattern comes in. Yeah. About how, how far away is that? From in time, from it's pretty far back there, it's like a thousand, two thousand years, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah, this is where like I not being a super canon guy, like I was in the past. Right. Like, it was more than ten but years far- ago, but less than a million. <laughs> like, yeah, but it, it's far enough that you still see some of the results of it. I mean, some of your ruins and stuff, and it definitely influences how people think of the world. Right. So what's fun like about the fall it is, of the Roman Empire? Kind yeah, of exactly. Way, right. You have this element where you have a human kingdom that's not like overtly evil in a villainous sense. But there's tension there yeah. because people remember their history. Right. And then there's the Yaddle Mountains that separate them. So you have a giant natural barrier that keeps the two sides at bay. Mm-hmm. And they have fought in the past and they'll fight again in the future. So what's great about it is it's very focused on humanity, very focused on politics. You don't have like here's the dwarf kingdom, right? Instead you have like kingdoms and then maybe they're allied with the dwarves. There's an elven kingdom, Selene, but they're very isolationist, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. It's very much driven by the, mm. the, the, this idea of tension between these kingdoms and good and evil being a component of it. But at one point or another, almost everyone has gone to war with everyone else. Yeah, and in that way, it felt very much like the, the Holy Roman, Roman Empire type thing. Or, yeah. you know, right? Like yeah. it, was, it was the Middle Ages yeah, in, exactly. in a sense, right? Where, like, history, yeah. you know, or pissed everywhere. But yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, lots of conflict. And how that all worked, right? But that goes back to this idea that you have a lot of ways you can go, right? It's an open question of how do you want to address this? You get that history. You get these sort of open-ended issues, then you get to decide as Dungeon Master, how do I want to push them in this campaign? Mm -hmm. Who do I want to set up? Where do I want to focus the tension, the conflict, what might be happening next? Sure. And that's what I think is really interesting about it. You know, when you look at, one of the things I think is very interesting, um, the Temple of Elemental Evil, Mm -hmm. the big super adventure that came out, I think it was 85. Yeah. um, Portions of that were straight from Gary's home campaign. The Village of Hamlet was an adventure that Gary wrote and mm. ran for his home campaign. Right. And it's interesting to me that he, it's, it's such a mind, you don't think of it, like I, hadn't, I didn't think about it this way for a long time. But when you look at it and you're like, you know, when Gary wrote this adventure, he doesn't show you, here's what Hamlet looks like now after my players went through it. He takes you back to the beginning and says, well, I ran this adventure, now you can run it. Mm. He doesn't try to say, here's what happened. Because I think that was always his reflex to think you you are a dungeon master yourself. I'm not going to give you something that's solved. I'm not going to tell you what happens next. It's up to you. Yeah. I don't give you the Temple of Elemental Evil after my players have completed it. Now, he wrote about in the Dungeon Master's Guide, the first edition, there, there is a little commentary there where he talks about the Temple of Elemental Evil and what happened when he ran it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but he doesn't think of that as, as the canon of the setting. And that's kind of where I have my maybe perhaps very heretical view on canon, especially for, for, for Greyhawk, where it's like, first of Gary didn't write it. I'm like, well, it's, it's, that's not springing from the guy who created it. But this idea that it's almost the setting that's like the anti-canon setting, mm. right? It's the setting where you really, this, this is really made for a dungeon master to make their own, that it really is about putting, poising pieces on the verge of conflict. Right. 
but then leaving room for the dungeon master. Well, and that's why I think it's also really fascinating how much it maps to more human history than perhaps yeah. any of our other settings, right? Because you can take, and you know, that's why its roots were in, were in wargaming and things like that as well. It, you can just take the presupposed knowledge that you have as a, as a fan of history uh, or a reader, you know, of, of any histories out there and be like, all right, well, that's the Spain and that's the France and that's the Burgundy. Yeah. And like, you know, like you can have those kind of quick analogs and then, you know, mix it up however you want and add in fantastical elements like Celine and a, and a Cambian yeah. ruled. You know, what would happen if, you know, all of a sudden a Cambian was put into European medieval history? What yeah. would happen? And I think that's, you're right, that is the power of, of this Greyhawk setting. Yeah. Um, but what about, okay, so let's get back to Castle Greyhawk if we can. Like, yeah, what, so, what, what makes oh, Castle Greyhawk so well, important in this setting? What's really interesting about Castle Greyhawk is uh, it's two tracks of history. There's the in-world history, which is Castle Greyhawk was built by the mad archmage Zagig. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zagig Uragnir. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's an anagram for Gary Gygax or Ernest Gary Gygax. Um, it was the first dungeon that Gary ran. Yeah, you know, when he sat down and ran D and D for his kids and his friends in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. This was the dungeon he ran. Now, that material is basically lost to history. I mean, there's a lot of like you know people who say, "Well, I have a portion of it," and I, I, I can't figure that all out. Like it is old. <laughs> and lots of people played it, and I'm sure he like photocopied it and had things and shared things. So, but essentially, in terms of officially published published products, we've never published what Gary ran. That's never been a, been uh, that's never been produced in a, in, in a book that has been published for D and D. Interesting. The um, there were a couple versions. There is the the first version, which. I am tempted to just say we're going to skip it and not talk about it, but then everyone's like, oh, what was up with that? Now I want to Google it. Uh, for some reason, someone decided it would be fun to take Castle Greyhawk and turn it into a comedy adventure. Mm. So the original, the first version that came out, uh, I want to say in 88, uh, had things like there's a level where they're filming like the latest Star Trek movie. Oh. Yeah, like that. I think that's all you need to know, right? Like that. that's the tone of the It's adventure. that kind of parody yeah. type thing, yeah. yeah. And there's all these things like, oh, it was done by TSR to insult Gary because at that point he had left the company. I don't, I don't know if they, anyone was that like masterminded. I think they just thought, wouldn't it be funny to do a, a funny adventure? Yeah. But who knows? Uh, then there was, um, I want to say it was Blake Mobley and Timothy Brown. I might have those names wrong, but uh, there was a version published in 91, I believe, called Greyhawk Ruins, mm-hmm. which was an enormous dungeon. It drew some elements from like what Gary had talked about, about his dungeon in the pages of especially Dragon Magazine where he talked a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it was, it was a wholly new creation. It took some tips from that, but built it out completely. And that was essentially, if you're going by that version, uh, the dungeon consists of three towers. Um, and the dungeon itself is the area beneath the towers, the, the dungeon levels be- uh, below them. And it just drops. It's, you know, it's like 20 levels each or 15 levels each. It's a massive dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the product itself, it had like 25 or 30 pages of maps in the back that perforated and then like just tiny type like encounter area after encounter area stacked on top of each right. other. But I, it was a dungeon, but it was also a functioning seat of government too no that that's the well at one point when when the mad archmage lived there it would have been but at the time essentially when you're playing he's disappeared he's gone so all these monsters have moved in uh it's just it's the giant ruin outside of town where you just go around and and, and kick indoors fight monsters really discover all this weird stuff i I always i always thought it was the you know 
The city of Greyhawk point. is like the fo- – I mean it is – The city of Greyhawk. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not – it's kind of like the New York of the world. It's like the capital culturally of the world. Yeah. The uh, – you know, it's the free city. It's where, you know, you can do – you know, everyone from around the world shows up. Right, and there's like a bazaar, yeah. like if I remember, like, yeah. it's like, a, like a marketplace type yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's like it's sort of a trade and cultural crossroads. You have yeah. like embassies from all the different kingdoms. And it's it's, it's kind of the melting pot. Is there like a parade area too or something like that? There's like a large well, – maybe I'm – Yeah. I'm mixing kinda, up what my dungeon master made up. I don't, I don't, I don't know where up. you're going with this. Like, you know, <laughs> there might be – I don't remember that being something that stood out to me. So. Okay, yeah. All right, so then, then that was like, but then the Castle Greyhawk was, it was kind out, of abandoned. It's outside of town. Oh, okay. When Zagig sort of disappears, it's abandoned, then monsters start moving in, and I'm sure he had like monstrous minions that were running around in the I castle. I see, I see. So, and so the actual city itself is separate from, yeah, exactly. from, from what's happening there. I think it's like a day outside of town. But is it, a, is it a focal point for all of the, 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 uh, the wars against Ayus? No, this is what's really interesting about Greyhawk is it, it doesn't have that sort of overarching story. Mm. Again, it goes back to this idea that you have all these potential stories, right. but then you decide which one you want to follow up on. Because you've got Ayus in the north. You've got the Great Kingdom, which was once this sort of very like very much like a Holy Roman Empire, like spanning a wide area, kind of basically benevolent, but then turning decadent and shifting toward evil. A lot of the kingdoms were formerly its satrapies and they've they've broken away, things like that. So again, history weighs on this. It's not just that the Great Kingdom is the bad guy kingdom. It's like, well, they used to rule these places mm-hmm. and then there were rebellions and people broke away. And so that's why you still have that tension of them perhaps wanting to regain their outlying territories, you know, things like that. Got it. Um, the Kingdom of Keelan in the sort of the southwest corner. Nominally a good area, but one that's gone to war with other good kingdoms, mm. you know, things like that, just in terms of wanting power, or resources, things like that. It, again, it's very much inspired by history in the sense of you have your moment, but then the weight of past conflicts and alliances weighing in. And, you know, it's almost like almost every realm at some point has been at war or at an yeah. alliance with almost every other one. But, and then the, those wars. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I always assumed of them as more kind of like that chivalric kind of, you know, knights and gallantry and, and that type of warfare. You, because often, you know, in wargaming at the time with Chainmail, it yeah. was very much rooted in like medieval historical. I mean, Chainmail is originally, it, it, Chainmail is a historical rule set. Yeah. And then the fantasy supplement kind of gets dropped on top of it. So it was like assuming that armies would look like medieval armies. Right. You know, there wasn't the sense like, well, okay, how, what would infantry actually look like in a world with fireball and you know, in Dragon Breath, well, maybe they, you know, the, the, the phalanx is kind of suicidal, so it's going to be more like modern warfare, more dispersed, and yeah. things like that. Were there war mages? Were there that type of like, you know? Well, I mean, you could have a wizard on the battlefield. You know, right. that'd be a common thing that you might have in your army. You'd have a figure who's the wizard, you know, who's throwing fireball. There might be a dragon as part of the army, you know, oh, things okay. like that. But you read um, a lot of the, um, they would do battle reports. Like if you're, if you're a miniatures war gamer, you're probably familiar with the idea of a battle report. Which is like, yeah. hey, we played a game, then we wrote it up as a narrative. Yeah. Some of those survive from back in the 70s to, to today, and they often read like medieval, you know, battles. Romances, yeah. Well, very much like, you know, the, 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 the cavalry emerged from the forest to charge on the flank, and then occasionally, like, well, then there was a wizard who threw a fireball, a six-die six fireball that broke mm-hmm. up and forced the medium horse to fall back. You know, but it's not like, say... A more modern fantasy war game where it's like, well, then the you know the flight of gyrocopters crested <laughs> the hill, and there was you know like the the eight ring deep dragon rider. You know they didn't quite go that. Yeah, it was still very much grounded in part, at least especially in the seventies. They just didn't have access. There weren't any fantasy miniatures. Right. Like, if you're like, I want to make an army of dwarves, 
Well, there's probably three dwarves you could buy. But it was, yeah, it was taking, <laughs> taking those ideas and then extrapolating them into, oh, and then this is how we built the world, yeah. and that's how the character of it of, of yeah. kind of evoked yeah. from there. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I also want to kind of want to go back to that uh, the cataclysm kind of idea too, because I latched onto that as like almost this this Cold War parable. Uh, you know, which was very much in oh, everyone's yeah. minds in the 70s, 70s and 80s yeah, of like, yeah, 60s, you know, 70s, here are yeah. these two major powers and they nuked themselves yep. into oblivion. And then this is what, you know, a, a fantasy medieval culture is what survived, which probably is not what would survive, you know, in yeah. our world if that kind of thing happened. But, you know, <laughs> fascinating to think about like, okay, that's what came from from the ruins was was, you know, this analog to, to kind of Western medieval history. Yeah. And really tying into that is thinking, you know, again, how it hangs over the current state of things. Yeah. And... The um, the empires, you know, the, the Sul Imperium and the Baklunish Empire, I mean, they, they were still fantasy. You know, it's not like they had technology, but they were, you know, they had, you know, the classic fantasy trope. They had, you know, the lost magic, the power, you know, power we can only aspire to these days, you know, right. things like that. Yeah. But it gives you your explanation for ruins. It gives you your explanation for why are there weird monsters running around. And I can get magic items yep. from those ruins. Why are things so unstable? Yeah. You know, like there isn't just the one, you know. You're not just settling into like four kingdoms that kind of rule everything. Right. It's not you know? dominant. It's not stable yeah, yet. It's exactly. still in, in flux. And, and very much rooted in this sort of like 60s and 70s fantasy at the time, which mm-hmm. was really heavily inspired. Tolkien really had started to make an impact in the late 60s, mm-hmm. um, but it was really more like Robert Howard, Conan the Barbarian, Fafford and the Grey Mouse, Sir Fritz Leiber. Yeah. Um, that feel of fantasy. Jack Vance. Yeah, exactly. Rather than like more in the 80s and when Tolkien became more pervasive. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I mean, very big in the 60s and 70s, but had kind of reached a critical mass where like in the 80s, a lot of fantasy drew very much directly from Tolkien. You know, increasingly, yeah. I think once the Sword of Shannara was published and that kind of started to open up that the, the epic fantasy became the thing. Were there um, were there halflings or gnomes in Greyhawk? Yeah, and they actually, you had everything that was in the player's handbook was there, right? Because mm-hmm. that was essentially, that was Gary's, those were Gary's rules, so his world reflected that. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have real things like, oh, here's this like race or class that's unique to Greyhawk, mm-hmm. you know, because it was all there from the beginning. The... Um, and it was very much rooted in, you know, that transition from this understanding of history and historical gaming to our adding. It's very much a, a real world with fantasy elements injected into it. You don't have, like, here's the megocracy where, you know, it's ruled by wizards and they have, like, all this magical stuff lying around. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you just don't have that. You know, the magical stuff is more at the fringes. Yeah. Um, and, again, what's interesting about it is it, it, it's all a setup you know, for the story that you're going to tell yourself. There is almost every one of these little, there's like each kingdom gets like a paragraph or two. And when you read them, you're like, there's just, there, there is a type of dungeon master who reads that and is completely inspired because they can see all the potential things here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dungeon masters who can read that and be just like, so? Right? You're like, what do I do but with yeah, that? Exactly, yeah. right? It just all comes down to, I mean, again, this was the beginning. So really, Gary had to write for himself because yeah. he didn't know who else to write for because, I mean, at the time... You think if this was originally, you know, in 80, then expanded out in 84, I mean, there was a fraction of the people playing D&D at the time. They didn't have the internet, so you really relied on conventions to get a sense of how people were playing the game. Yeah. And so, and there yeah, was no, And, and then a, going back to the point that we made at the top of this is that uh, uh, there, there was no idea of what a D&D setting was. Yeah, exactly. Until, you know, this Greyhawk started to be published. Um, but, um, you know, as we're starting to wrap this up, uh, what, do, what do you think the reaction to the fan base was to this type of setting, and then how did that spawn things like Forgotten Realms and Dark Sun and, and the, the proliferation of settings after that? So I think, I have to be honest here, I love this setting. Yeah. It's, it's my favorite setting. But I think to be, 
to be more detached in the assessment of it. I think what happened was this was the setting as Gary imagined people would need. Yeah. And there's a type of dungeon master who sees this and loves it because there's so many opportunities here to tell stories and campaigns. And this is the kind of dungeon master who's comfortable with like, a, uh, you know, I think this book that I'm flipping through the PDF up here is like in total 64 pages. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it's 80. It's longer than I thought, but it does include a ton of stuff. But then I just saw a page with all the uh, the heralds, yeah, the, uh, heraldry, the heraldry of the thing. important for painting your miniatures, right? Exactly. And, and it's got all the gods, it's got all the kingdoms, it's got all, it's everything, right? Oh, we didn't talk about the gods. Yeah. The gods are kind of interesting too because they're a little bit more, the, the, as presented here, like there's one theocracy, the, the pale, which mm-hmm. is the you know, Foltus, who's like the god of uh, light and the sun. But yeah, it's not like other fantasy settings where the gods are super meddling and they're everywhere. Um, so it is a setting that, because I think the, the message of the setting is you as Dungeon Master will now decide what happens next, what god will be important. You pick. Who, uh, what realm will be the centerpiece of your campaign? Pick. What's yeah. going to happen next? Well, we kind of set some things up, but now you're going to decide what happens next. Mm-hmm. I think, though, what happened... Uh, with the Forgotten Realms debuting in 87 was that especially in terms of like a commercial product that you're selling to people, this has its audience, but there's a bigger audience that wants more detail. Mm-hmm. Not not a lot more detail. They don't want every single like little thing sketched out, but they want more direction. Yeah. You know, and I think what we've seen when you look at fifth edition, how we build things, there are some elements here of like, you know, that are definitely inspired from Greyhawk in the sense of the approach. Mm-hmm. If you think of things like Morden Cannon's Tome of Foes, where we tell you about orc culture, probably in more detail than they would have back like in the 70s. Yeah. But we still try to leave it where, okay, we've described this thing, but now it's up to you to decide how you want to use it. But if I would say commercially, I think people were looking for something that read more like a, a travel guide. Yeah. That painted in more of the details. That wasn't just taking you two-thirds of the way there then saying, okay, now, now, now there's a point where you'll be inspired. I don't need to speak anymore because you already have thoughts. And a lot of DMs, you know, especially as the audience grew, I think we're in the position of like, I'm not really sure what to do next. You know? mm-hmm. It's the difference between you know, assuming someone knows how to do improv and teaching someone how to do improv. Right. This definitely is written assuming that you already know how to do that. Right. You know? And so what that's, to me is what's liberating about it. What's funny, though, is a lot, there are a lot of Greyhawk fans who really obsess over the pieces because there's all these little references and pieces. So they like going through and combing through and trying to connect all the dots. And, and then making inferences and, and then be like, build oh, the canon. I can yeah. see how it, this is what I think yeah. this means. And so yeah. I can totally see that. And, and then say, here's the truth of it. I am super allergic to that because <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that it's so on the precipice, but then you decide which way to go. I see. The, um, and I think part of me thinks long term, I think, what would we do with Greyhawk? I think there's I think there's value in the setting that is more open-ended than the Forgotten Realms, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't know quite how we'll do it. Uh, it turns out that like Gary Gary's you know kids are still around, and they a lot of them played in the setting and probably know something about it. So it might be interesting to have conversations with them about how Greyhawk could develop. Mm-hmm. But I think there's space in a world where you look at the number of settings Dean you can support, the number of settings we have in the back catalog. Yeah, you know, the Realms kind of serves as our here's a setting with a lot of stuff baked into it kind of plug and play. Yeah. You know, you can buy Dragon Heist and you get Waterdeep as a city and then you have an entire campaign to run. Right. You know, whereas is there space for the setting that's a little bit more of a kit that you can play with and then determine what you want to do with it next? You know, like, especially yeah, like in a world where, you know, you don't have to think of it. I think one of the things that was a strength of TSR but it was also a weakness. TSR very much saw their settings as product lines. Mm-hmm. So they would look at the Forgotten Realms and think, okay, we published the core, the gray box. Mm-hmm. And then for second edition, they did a hardcover book. And then they put out regular supplements. They tried to apply that model to every single one of their settings. And I think 
they were definitely settings that works for. But I think for a setting like Greyhawk, I think that actually takes away the magic of it. Yeah. If you start doing a lot of books and start detailing stuff out in the manner that you would do that for the Forgotten Realms, I think you're you're kind of taking away from what to me makes this setting fun. Yeah. And you're kind of setting it up where you think a fan of Greyhawk and a fan of Forgotten Realms are kind of the same. Right, you could argue the tone is different, mm-hmm. but a lot of times when I see fans who don't quite get Greyhawk, they're like, well, what's different about it? And there are definitely people who say, well, here's the tone and this other stuff. But to me, it's really about how it works as a gaming text. It was like a skeleton that you had to flesh out. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, and that's, yeah. you know, the, the other products and other settings is like, you know, you get the whole body. You can change that body and modify it however you want, yeah. but it's not, it's not just a frame, uh, you know, a skeleton anymore. Yeah. We're kind of assuming if we're giving you a source book on like a section of the realm, you know, right. like again, go back to Dragon Heist. Yeah. We're giving you a full adventure because we're assuming you thought to yourself, oh, I want to play, I want to run a D&E campaign, but I'd like someone to do most of the work for me. And my, my contribution would be like, I'll modify what's here or it's the, the sort of performance of it. Yeah. Greyhawk's more like, hey, you don't actually want the written campaign. But you, just, you want a place where you can put the campaign you're running, and you want to be inspired in your own creation. You want a jumping off point. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's something interesting to consider what that could look like. I mean, part of it, too, is the because TSR treated it the same way as they treated the realms, the kind mm-hmm. of fandom around Greyhawk, I think, kind of evolved similar to the fandom around the, the realms, where it was, what's the canon? Let's fill in all the details. And like I said, I think that's where I would part pretty sharply from a lot of Greyhawk fans. Yeah. I, I don't see it. I don't see the value in Greyhawk resting there. I see it really in this being, being prompts yeah, for your exactly. adventures to come. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of cool. Well, we are going to be, uh, uh, you and I are both going to be at GaryCon uh, yeah. in uh, Wisconsin in, uh, in March. Yeah. And it's March 7th through the 10th. Just over a month, like five weeks away. I wow. Know, oh, I know, right? I've got to get it. <laughs> uh, but we'll be uh, you know, talking to a lot of the people who were uh, in, you know, involved in the creation yeah. of some of these products, including Luke Gygax, who played in the original yeah. uh, uh, Castle Greyhawk adventures that, that you were referencing earlier. Uh, so that's going to be really fascinating, going in and, and talking to some of those uh, kind of first-person uh, you know, uh, experiences that they had, and, and maybe we'll get to the bottom of, of some of what you're talking about here. Yeah, see, we'll see kind of where we go. I say I would love to bring Greyhawk back, but I want to bring it back in a way that does justice to it, mm-hmm. and that makes everyone fall in love with it the way I love it. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> I, I had a much different experience. I think I played through the Age of Worms campaign. No, see, but that's uh, campaign. the thing, is that your DM made it their own. He made it his own. It's, that's, that's very the thing. true. That's the strength of it. You have to be, with Greyhawk, I think you, again, this is my opinion, Yeah, I'm not, and fans, if you're upset... I, my job is not to just do whatever I want. My, I have to prove that what I want to do is actually going to make people happy. So, <laughs> but to me, that is what's really cool about, the, about, the, about Greyhawk. Yeah. The Realms has more of like, oh, it's more of a shared experience. And honestly, yeah, and, and, well, and not to interrupt you, but the, the reason why I have uh, uh, you know, any kind of fondness for, for the Greyhawk setting is my Dungeon Master's fondness for exactly. it. Exactly, your Dungeon Master. He loved it, it so life. much because he could bring it to life, and he yeah. told me all of these things about all of these, you know, many of the wars and the things that you're talking about, and especially the, the Cold War type thing. And though his passion for it is what brought it to life. And so exactly. you might not get that same passion if you're you know, uh, uh, having that full fleshed out setting that you're, you're, you're yeah. talking about because he you know, how to paint in the, the corners. Exactly. I like to think of it as the, with Forgotten Realms, you are buying a world that starts the default that you don't really want to change much beyond the details. You mm-hmm. want to be inspired. Like you read about the cult of the dragon, like, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to make those the bad guys. Yeah. And you read about the harpers, like, okay, cool. I'm definitely, oh, the players be harpers. That'd be really fun. Or no, maybe in my campaign, the harpers are kind of like the enemy. I wonder how that'll work. <laughs> You're using a lot of the pieces that are there and you're assembling them into your campaign. Yeah. Greyhawk is much more like, here are the components that you will now use to build your pieces. Mm-hmm. Now go ahead. So in my campaign, it might be like, 
oh, the, you know, in my campaign, I use is, is uh, the secret threat. No one really knows who's back yet. So I'm going to make this group called, okay, it's the, um, you know, the Assembly of Crones. Oh, it's all these hags that he's recruited that are now like been promised power. And so that's the main power group. So it's like you go one level down to see the, the setting. Right. Scott Realm's like, oh, there's Harpers and we're going to, we're running something in Baldur's Gate. And it's, oh, it's all about the Bayonites. They're getting together and they're the threat. Right. You see immediately the Scott Realm stuff where I think the Greyhawk, it's like, here's the thing you never heard of before. Then you dig down, oh, what is that? Oh, then I start mentioning I use in the Great Kingdom. It, but by I'm putting my own layer on top of it. Sweet. Yeah, I love that. So, yeah. uh, so you heard it here first. Uh, Mike is introducing a new product, Assembly of Crowns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll be out <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> See, but that's the trick. How do I make a product that I don't just tell you, here's the Assembly of Crowns, and that's the truth. Right. Instead, I make a product that makes you, again, it's like prompts. Yeah. You read it and go, oh, yeah, my mind's now The blank fire. of crones. Yeah, or, you know, right? Assembly of blank. It's yeah. just a bunch of prompts, and it's really cool stuff, and it's really inspiring, and it's got some awesome pieces in it, but it really is about the dungeon master. Yeah. You know, it's your world. You I know? love it. I love so. it. Uh, so, Mike, uh, thank you for, for being here for the special lore you should know. Uh, you know. It almost feels like a little bit more like a, a Mike Merle's Happy Fun Hour. <laughs> Talking about always, the design of it. They always did. They always so descend it, in design. It's a, it's a combination segment here, and I love it. So uh, thanks for that. I can't wait for that show to come back. In the meantime, how can people uh, get in touch with you and pester you about all the things you got wrong about Greyhawk? So the best way is on Twitter. I am Mike Merles, just one word. No underscore, no dashes, no spaces, just M-I-K-E-M-E-A-R-L-S. Awesome. And you can always ping me at Greg Tito for all the things I got wrong and make fun <laughs> of my, my lack of gray box knowledge. All right. Thank you so much. Wasn't that a really good uh, Mike Merles-led Laurie Cheneau episode? Yes. We heard it, and we're listening to it, and it was, it was fantastic. I feel like I know at least six more things than I did before. I, I agree, and, and Mike was very good. Yeah, articulate. He spoke. <laughs> words came out of his mouth. When his mouth opened, words came out. Yeah. I, I love speaking to anybody on the D&D team, uh, kind of in general. Anybody? Because they just delve into... Uh, the the lore and stuff and can just talk about it for hours and hours and hours. So uh, I, I, I'm sure Mike did the exact same thing. And, I'm sure he did. And let it all sing. I'm sure he knew stuff. Yeah. When you were a kid uh, or now, did you ever like kind of doodle maps and yeah. continents and things like that? I did actually. What, 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 what do they look like? Blobs. <laughs> wasn't yeah. very good. Yeah? But I did like, I mostly, I, I probably did more looking back it would more it would be more like a dungeon. Oh, because I like to just like take a ruler and d- pencil and draw little compartments and little things here and there and hiding places and then just weave things all over paper. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't know. That. Always straight lines though. I very seldom ever curved anything. Interesting. Yeah. So then, when you tra- did you ever try to do like forests and mountains and and that kind of no type thing? Yeah. No. It was always super hard. Yeah. Because I you know my. Uh, Experience with that was um, Tolkien and the maps that he drew for Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Did he draw his own maps? He did. He drew his own maps, to, to my knowledge. Um, and uh, they always looked like a picture of uh, the land, right? Yeah. Because each kind of tree had a thing to it. And each mountain had, you know, yeah. specifically drawn shadows and shades on it. And so once I realized how hard that was... <laughs> I was like, oh, man, this takes a long time. I'm just going to buy these from now on. Yeah, and I just, well, I never, I never got that far, but, you know, 
I, uh, I always tried to improve and, and get better at it, but then eventually, you know, had to do schoolwork and other things kind of, kind of took time away from it. Um, but it was always that passion to me when I was a kid, and always uh, maps still to you this still day. still like maps. Transport me into fantasy world so much, so much more so than, than just words do. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um, and uh, the reason we're talking about this is that our guest uh, is uh, Devin Rue, who does that to, like, up, turned up to 11. Like, I think her maps are, are better than any other uh, uh, fantasy maps that I've seen in any, any book, uh, in any fantasy book. You know, they're, they're, they're highly... Uh, designed and amazing, and uh, I can't wait to to pick her brain and talk yeah. about it. So let's let's call her up. Rather okay. than me talking about it, let's get the expert to talk let's about it. Let's do it. Yeah. Devin Rue, hello. Yay, Devin. Hello. Happy birthday to Happy you. Happy birthday, Devin. Can't believe it. I know. We did not. Not after 65. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you look good. Right? You've had an easy life. <laughs> easy life. <laughs> Bonbons and lounge chairs. Yep. Nice. Uh, that's funny. I don't think people uh, younger than 30 know what bonbons are. So Really? Yes. Bonbons well, aren't a thing? Proof. I really am 65. Yes, exactly. And clearly I am close in age because I know exactly what you mean. Why don't people know what bonbons When's are? When's the last time you saw bonbons in the store? I don't know. You don't know what bonbons are? Couldn't tell you. Wow. See? Ryan's young. Sean's young. All right, whatever. <laughs> Do you know what bonbons are? I just are? on the interview now. Yeah, yeah, it's all over now. We had no idea that it was your birthday when we booked this, which is crazy. And I didn't even know it was Shelly's birthday also. She doesn't care. Which I didn't care about because I was like, we only do this on Fridays. <laughs> which I don't care about. But what a happy circumstance. I know. Yeah. How do you feel about sharing your birthday? I Be honest. Actually, uh, I've been sharing it with my aunt since I was born. Oh. Was born her birthday. That's cool. Yeah. My, and she uh, actually is 65. Oh, really? <laughs> my, uh, my daughter has a cousin who has the same birthday, too. So they have that, that bond of Do being they, like, oh. Is it a bond or is it like... <sighs> no, no, it's, they like it. Yeah, they're, they're excited about it. Hmm. And they're like, oh, we're, we're like buddies. Well, I used to hate it. Really? You yeah. didn't like sharing birthdays? Uh-uh. Oh. Um, well, as, I, as I've grown, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it. I realize more people are probably born on February 1st than just me and Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's his birth. I actually do think it's his birthday. Yeah. My when I was little, my uncle's birthday was like three days away from mine. So we would often have these joint. Not often. It happened twice. Joint family parties, and we look back at all these pictures, and I'm sitting on his lap, and I'm like four, and I'm like this, <laughs> like this really like mean face on like Aww. this is not cool. Two years in a row, and then they. Sp- they stopped. They stopped. They're like, yes. no, I we mean, got split. He these. obviously wasn't trying to steal the thunder of a five-year-old. He could care less. But, but that's what you oh, thought. The only time that I hated sharing my birthday was my aunt's 50th because nobody celebrated mine to go to her. Aww. Yeah, that's, that's tough when their milestones are trumping. I mean, thir- 30's a pretty big milestone, too. Yeah. I crashed the party. That was time. <laughs> Heck yeah. As well you should. Me well. A bunch of bikers. No, it's where, Rikers Island? <laughs> bikers. Bikers. Oh, bikers. Bikers. Oh, that would be a fun party to crash. I'm in. All right, cool. Uh, so we're here talking to you because I've been a fan of uh, uh, your work uh, that you've shared online uh, for, for a long time. I love the, the maps that you create. Uh, Thank you. It's amazing the amount of detail I, you put into it. 
was so happy you said all of that before I got an interview because I'm sure I was crimson while watching you talk about it. I was like, no, don't do this while I'm on air. He's a super fan. (laughs) I love it. I love it a lot. So when did, when did you start? When did you begin, you know, making maps? Was it, was it doodles when you were a kid? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, so I started playing D&D at like 14. Wow. And my very first map was about 16 years old during an argument in D&D wow. about where we were and where we had to go. Hmm. Were you the DM or you were a player? I was a player. And it was one of those like you play for five minutes and you argue for like two hours over the five minutes of gameplay <laughs> kind of group. <laughs> And it was just like, can we just, okay, let's just end this argument. And we were trying to, we were actually, all right, most of them were arguing with the DM to where we had to go. So I was like, we started here and then we went this way and then we, you know, got into a a combat and then we went this way and this is where this village was and this is where we did this thing. And then, and so it was just a really bad bubble with lines on it. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, at least calmed the argument enough where they moved on to a different subject finally and so i just started doodling and filling it in because the rest of the argument i didn't care about and my dm leans over he's like hey that's that's not that bad can i borrow that and i was like yeah sure and then that like sparked my interest like where do maps come from like why did we start them how do they work and so i went to uh school the next time i was at school and i went to my earth science teacher and said hey how does the Earth work? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just an open-ended that is question. Like the question all Earth science teachers are waiting for someone to ask oh, yeah. them. That's right. Yes. Way too enthusiastic <laughs> questions. And I just got like a huge stack of books. And he's like, here. And anytime you want to ask me a question. And so that's essentially how I started. So, And then I took landscape design when I was younger. And just because I liked the way that a lot of the drawings looked. And it was a great way for me to actually learn perspective because uh, I have a visual impairment and it was a great way for me to work through it. And then um, I started doing them as props for my own D&D games. And then Mm. because I love them and collect them, so I just make my own. And then oddly enough, I just shared it online and everyone's like, wow, those are great. I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Who am I to judge apparently? Yeah, and then so you've you've, you've created. I mean, it, it, is this your full time job now? Is creating maps? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, when you were sixteen, doodling your first D and D map, did you ever think like this is a job? Yeah. Like, I can nope. get paid and make a living doing this? No, I mean, there's. I I think every kid, especially when you when you play video games or you play D and D, you're like, oh man, if I could do this for a living, right? You know. And now I do this for a living, you know? So, yeah, there's there, 14-year-old me is losing her mind. Over yeah. That. That's you amazing. Know? So do people commission you to do maps for their games or just in general? Yes. Um, so uh, I, I usually do it through Patreon because it's a lot easier. And so I can also offer the maps free to the community. Um, so because if you can't... Essentially, paying somebody to do a map full-time, that map's taking anywhere from two to six weeks to create, depending on the amount of detail. And so, obviously, if you had to pay somebody's salary for, like, a month, yeah, yeah, 
So what we kind of do is we share it across my entire Patreon. And so all of us kind of pay for each other to get their maps made as long as I get to share it with the community. So everyone can essentially afford a map if they can't commission directly. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. So how does, how would somebody give you the details about the world they want created? I tell them to give me what's absolutely necessary because um, everyone wants to tell me their lore and their history, which is great, but it doesn't tell me what's on the map. Right. So I just want the least amount of details as possible because I love to fill in with tons of unusual details. And oh. I, want, I want to create things that really inspire your players to explore. So if you tell me like, okay, this is like, generally like this is a swamp area or you just don't tell me anything at all i'll just make you this incredibly detailed map with caves and caverns and i put x's randomly in places Uh, i put runes and stuff and i tell a dm you have to really go over the map because your players will find what you miss (laughs) yeah so and my if they ever come across something you didn't notice just say the only way to find out what's there is to go explore it. That's so awesome. You're, it's more than just a map. Like you're kind of essentially DMing for people because you're leaving these little treasures and filling in details that maybe even the DM didn't know were there. Yeah, I want I want to create. I want to inspire as much exploration and and um, desire to really truly go and play the game and go on an adventure as I possibly can. And a map should tell a story. It's not just like a functional thing to tell people like there's a road here. It mm. should it should really inspire your players to want to to get out there and do more. And if something isn't working in one area, you know, they can kind of go to another and and just to get out, hopefully move the story along when they want to like argue so cool. over a particular place. Yeah, I think that's almost why I find your maps so enticing is because it's this it's not just a recreation of you know the features right it's not just like this there's a this mountain range there's a forest blah blah blah. it's it's that love of storytelling that is so infused in every kind of map I see from you um that elevates it it's not just you know even the fantasy artwork that I've seen uh made for um for novels and things like that, you can almost kind of tell that it's the it's another person who's trying to interpret a storyteller's ideas rather right. than a, a storyteller who's trying to tell a story with a map, if that makes right. sense. And that's why – so I, I always go back to Tolkien because I – mean, you probably know this more than I do. He created those, those maps that we see in the front of his books, right? Yes. Yes. And that's why those in particular are strong for me is because he was doing that for his story. Like he probably drew things and then ended up writing them into the story because of the power of how it looked on the map and vice versa. Right. Um, right. And, and, I, and there's some inconsistencies for those of you that are Tolkien fans in chat and don't yell at Greg. He doesn't know. He don't yell at me. Tell, tell me where know. I, where I've messed up. Right. Uh, there are bits and pieces of them. So I tell everyone maps are representational. They're mm. not exact. They can't be, even if you want them to be um, one, because you're trying to draw something around on a flat piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, so mathematically, that doesn't even add up. But also because things things change, you can't draw things to scale, or else it would just look like a bunch of a massive green lines for trees. You know, um, 
And so most of what Tolkien drew, he drew as like bits and pieces of notes to his story. And some of it went along the lines of the map and some of it didn't. But, you know, um, I love it just because it was drawn in a way that it looked like somebody who couldn't take an aerial view of the world and had walked in on foot and just drew what they saw as they were going along. And that was a huge inspiration behind a lot of my maps. Yeah. Yeah. I think this would be such a cool gift to give someone is to actually give them a visual representation of a world that they created. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I absolutely love being able to, to, take somebody's story or imagination or their world and make it a much more realistic thing for them. And just watching their expressions when they see it is, yeah. is astronomical to me. There's no better gift I could possibly have. And I love, I just really love the idea of you just filling in things and putting in your own little story hooks in there. It's, that's just, it's very, it's <laughs> yeah. really cool. Well, it's very D and D right. Yeah. I mean, I think like yeah. that's when, uh, you know, I mean, back in the fourth edition days, there was that idea of the points of light kind of idea that, like, here's the map. Yeah. You don't know anything beyond this town or this kind of protected area, and it, let's explore it. Yeah. And let's find out. out we know maybe there's a monster over there, but we don't know. And then that, that, that kind of portal uh, is, is, is what these maps provide for adventurers, you know, in, yeah. in world as well as for the players who are pretending to be adventurers. It's also a great way to learn how to really DM. Yeah. Yeah, are you are you a DM? Yes. Do you create you have create your own worlds and Yes. I imagine. Um I actually uh I have co-DM'd more than I have just DM'd by myself. Oh. Uh I love to co-DM. I've also the character I've played most is also an NPC for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh just because I had a job at one time where um my schedule would be like last minute, like within fifteen minutes of whether or not I was going into work. <laughs> Uh, which meant that I might be a D and D night. I may not, you know. <laughs> and so my DM found the perfect way was to just like, okay, then you're going to be this NPC night, and I would have information that 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 character would know in a costume, and I would show up with props because I'm a complete larper. <laughs> and um, so, and that's one of the reasons why I love doing what I do. So I like making props and visual aids and. And things to sort of help players, like really, like ooh, and they would sit there and like, okay, we all have to guess, what, you know, what character Devin is playing tonight, you know. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Yep. I uh, I, I love the f- photographs that you take of your maps because they include little props and and oh, yeah. things on the edges and on the outside, mostly as holding down the maps on the outside. <laughs> yeah. So there's a practical purpose to that, which I totally stole. Uh, I mean, we had the the Beetle and Grim folks in here uh, earlier. Um, but once, once, because they provided a few maps in their thing and I just was like, Oh, I can use these, the props that they yep. have to hold down the corners of the maps. And then it ended up being this nice little, for lack of a better word, tablescape for, for, Very for my nice. players. Yeah. I love that. There's about ready to be hopefully within the next month. Um, some really awesome. I want to make full on props. Mm. So I'm making what I call master maps and they are done on fabric with embroidered edges, you'd be able to hang them up like a tapestry Ooh. or down, lay them out. The so you do a shimmy. A shimmy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going like all it. out for this. I, I'm including um, navigational tools. <gasps> That's um, awesome. Yeah, just a fun, huge project. And you'll get to like pick and choose what you 
what you want to include in your master map. Now, can you make 1,000 of them? Because <laughs> I'm thinking... Scale no. up. <laughs> you got it. But each one would take roughly two to three weeks to make mm. easily. Okay. So how are you going to do that as a Patreon type thing or, or what? Uh, I'm going to start with doing it with my patrons first just because it's a little bit easier uh, and it'll help me like refine the process so I can actually make them for more than one person at a time. <laughs> uh, uh, but, and also, so, you know, it kind of helps to pay for, you know, buying all the materials and the equipment that I need to do this. So yeah. instead of doing a Kickstarter, cause those things scare me <laughs> and uh, it's a lot easier doing that way. So, and then they'll be available to anyone would be able to pick and you know, hopefully buy. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because there is that nature of each one of these items you're creating being handmade. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's that. I mean, that's that's why handy. people enjoy your work and want to want to participate in it. But it's not necessarily um, something that can scale up to make a thousand of them, for example. Right. Yeah, that would. Mm-mm. Unless you can get cloned. <laughs> right. Well, I, I have an amazing wife who does a lot of stuff with me. But she can't draw maps the way I do. So that's, a, that's, that's still a skill. Gonna be. It's a very refined skill. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody has that. Do the two of you uh, play Dungeons and Dragons together? Do you LARP together? Uh, well, if we had more time, then yes to both of those. <laughs> uh, she hasn't actually played much since she's been like in her, you know, since high school. Mm. Um, but she thinks it's hysterical that I still LARP and I still play and I have a play-by-post uh, couple of games going on in my Discord, and hopefully there'll be some more coming up soon. But uh, it's kind of hard to play in person. So yeah. also because, you know, internet, so much easier to play that way. Do you yeah. enjoy that? Do you enjoy doing the, uh, the the calling in and doing Skype stuff like this? Uh, I I do. Well, I love doing stuff like this just because I love being able to communicate with the community on a much wider scale. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's hard about it is that there's a lot of, uh, there are shows, you know, there, I'm used to where we play D and D, we play the same campaign for, for years. Um, we would become incredibly close as friends. We would spend every waking hour just talking about what we were going to do the next time we were in game. Uh, so the idea of, of. You know, I was on an, an online show and we were playing it. And then, like, none of the other characters want to talk about the show in between. And I'm like, <laughs> this is really strange. Like, how are we going to decide what we're doing next episode? And Right. No, I was like, okay, I'm just going to gonna go back to my <laughs> normal games. I really am bad at this. <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, we've talked about that a lot when we talk to streamers and stuff, yeah. too, where it is, it's a different animal than your home game. Right, like yes. your home game is the one where you do a lot of that, that heavy lifting and that working uh, uh, on on your on in, in between sessions. Um, but when 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 people are doing it for the audience, they're like, "Well, let's make sure what we're doing is always for the audience rather than right. for for ourselves." Um, but you know, people go back and forth. I mean, I mean I think there's ways to do that. So you're sharing the yeah. notes that you're passing back and forth online in a forum, and then the audience can participate. You know, perhaps as well. Oh, too. I give credit to anyone who can. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great. I love watching. I love to come into Twitch and just find random shows. I just think it's amazing. Uh, I just personally, I can't, uh, you know, I just can't get as into it. I'm like, no, I've, I have no one to talk about my character with. 
It's not we fair. all need yeah. that. Yeah, you know, agreed. So it's not quite the same. Now, uh, you've done some streaming with you creating maps, right? What's that uh, like? At first, cool. it was terrifying. <laughs> There's a bunch of people watching me draw, which is very odd. I'm picturing like a Bob Ross kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, God. Puts a, a dark, that. deadly forest over here in the corner. <laughs> Here's a yeah. really Here's foreboding a- mountain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone's like happy little trees. I'm like, I nope. am murderous trees. <laughs> My <laughs> trees aren't happy. They're, they're tree ants, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like no. You know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, I absolutely love it. I I... Uh, I do two types of streaming. I do uh, patron only, where I we go into world building, we go into cartography, we talk about you know looking at uh, creating your world from a cartographer's point of view. Mm. Uh, so we go all the way back to the creation of the planet to kind of help you decide where your coastlines are or where your your continents are. Because a lot of people are like I don't even know what to draw for a coastline. You know, yeah. I'm like, oh, I can help you with that. Right. You know? Plate tectonics. Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I try and give them a, as an abridged version as possible because I don't really think anyone wants to know, mm. you know, every minute detail. Um, but if they ask, I'm just as enthusiastic as that earth science teacher I asked. Nice. So, yeah. Well, um, and a lot of people don't realize that that's where maps should start is yes. with how yeah. we, the way you know, coastlines and continents were formed in our world, and you should really think about it that way. And I, I, yeah. I loved that that portion of of cartography because it actually made you think about like, oh, well, this river can't flow from you know the desert to the mountains. That doesn't make any right. sense. It needs to go from the mountains to the desert because, or you know, or High to the point to low point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really understand that until I started drawing a map to 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 kind of get that point out there. Yeah. And I do, I always specify, you know, we, um, our industry, uh, us living on this planet, um, our construction, it all changes the, the ecosystem of the local areas. And that spreads out in a, like a butterfly effect. Mm. And in fantasy cartography, yeah, granite, unless there is a magical reason why something is flowing uphill, it's not going to, but it's not to say that it can't occur. Because we don't actually know the effects of somebody sending lightning bolt every yeah. five seconds would have on the local uh, uh, ecosystem. So I mean, it is possible. It's a good story hook right there. I know, right? Now I want to yeah. write that world. Mistakes, even mistakes can be turned into something. <laughs> yeah. Golden. So I, I will get people that will try and correct me on on a map like you can't just have a river started in the middle of a field well technically you can because even in our world there's underwater water sources that flow upward right um but rare but it happens yeah you know but there are of course you know we don't know the effects magic would have repetitively done on a on a particular area so you know i feel like you can take some some creative freedoms with fantasy yeah like your answer can always be like you don't know that yeah. You don't know what the story is. Right. Yeah. And you don't know what kind of impact magnetic fields would have if somebody was constantly charging off lightning. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It could make the water flow upstream. It could tilt the entire planet. It's true. I just read a fascinating thing uh, that was being talked about where the um, when, the, when the, the European settlers came to the Americas and South Americas, 
that you know through the disease and all the things that happened uh, with uh, the, the the you know the awful treatment of the native folk that that actually had ecological effects on yes. our world uh, uh, as far as the mass reforestation. We always think about like the forestation being like, oh, that's great. There was a lot more trees out there. Uh, but then that changed the, the, the climate a lot. And that was what created uh, a mini ice age in like the 1600s or something like that. I'm like, that's really fascinating. Yeah. I never thought that, you know, the changing of populations would have that, uh, that kind of an effect. And that's something that oh, yeah. a fantasy... Uh, uh, worlds can encompass with any of that type of stuff if there was like a massive war or say, you know, an entire city gets port, you know, transported to the other side of the world, you know, that happens right. in all of our stories sometimes, but like what are the effects of that happening out? And then, you know, having that reflected in, in the maps. Exactly. So I, I, that's one of the reasons why I, I love, I don't, you know, I'll have somebody like give me information. They're like, and you can fix anything that's wrong. And I'm like, oh, only if it's like, painfully wrong like we mm. when we look at something you know like the going back to tolkien everyone's like he's got a square mountain range <laughs> well yeah and that's because we just don't see things like that normally so we don't you know we don't want to accept it as like okay this is you know normal so that's the only thing where i'm like yeah no everyone's gonna ask about this really strange looking mountain range or this looks like a cat you know, like your island looks like something because everything I do is an inkblot test. Right. <laughs> Again, oh, story hook. It's a butterfly. That's where the tabaxi live. That's where the tabaxi live because it yeah. looks like well, a cat. <laughs> people usually see genitalia the most. Oh, that is very true. I mean, just, <laughs> just look at Florida. I'm, it's that is terrible. actually true. In our meeting, our team meeting yesterday, Nathan drew something on the board and I was like... <laughs> 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 Yep. <laughs> when you're when you're 14 at heart, yeah. uh, that right. is. That's what I tell everyone. I'm like, I'm just a 14 year old, just drawing phallic symbols all over a mask. That's all. Again, See if you can find them all. Up. It's a it's an Easter egg type thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have exactly the exact number of how many are on there. If you can find them all. Right. That's like those that old totally activity work. books of like, if find all the... I could DM an adventure about The Bachelor and you could make me a map like that. Hubba hubba. <laughs> Here's what's it find called? Find all the, uh, the fantasy The fantasy suites. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. No. I can bring it back. That, right? <laughs> what's that? Nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Mordor as a square mountain range always did. I was always like, ah, I don't think that would be real. But it didn't matter because it was like, it was where the bad guy was. So, of course, it was strange. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I and that's the other side of that argument is you could just literally make it anything, any reason for it. You know, he shook down the other mountains that were in that range. Who yeah. Knows? <laughs> he made them form there to protect his fortress, you know. Yeah. What? So. Yeah, what's a better barrier than uh, mountains? Razor sharp yeah. mountains. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but we can't simply walk in there. That's the problem. Yeah, nobody just you just can't walk into Mordor. So, what kind of um, you know what's what's your history with gaming? I mean, you mentioned LARPing and and your dungeon mastering, but like you know, how did it you know progress after you that 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 session when you were fourteen and playing? Uh, well. Uh... I really quickly got into LARPing, uh, mostly because at the time, you know, because so I was like 14. So we're, we're talking the late 80s, you know, mid to late 80s. Uh, it was very much a boys game. Mm. 
And I was always kind of gothic. So not only was I like the unheard of goth that apparently plays D&D because none of my friends ever heard of Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> Yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and that actually is what got me into LARPing. Mm. Uh, so that was actually my longest running uh, LARPing campaign, which was amazing. Um, and I played it for I played it off and on for years and years, like uh, up until roughly, I want to say like 10 years ago, I kind of got sick. I ended up moving. Uh, so I was no longer around my D&D um, uh, group. So because, you know, you always have more than one. I, at one point I was playing uh, at least five games a week. Oh wow! Wow! Of D and D, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just a little bit obsessed. <laughs> with like, five different games. Five different games, yeah, and two of which I co-DM'd. Wow! Yeah, it was fun. That's I had insane. the time. I figured, why not? Right? Yeah. You the know, worst things you could be doing. Right? You know, and I just filled that in with some video games because I love to play those, and uh, so now I just now I just feel like I'm part of everyone's game. <laughs> By, by supplying maps yeah. everywhere, right? All that, and everyone's like, "Oh, I'm just going to make you an NPC in my world." I'm like, "I am okay with that." And I just made had a mini made, so you can have me as an actual NPC. No way. Yeah. That is so cool. I love it. Yeah, I just finished her her uh, character sheet yesterday, so and hopefully they'll be for sale soon. Sweet. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah. Um, so um, the reason I was asking about LARPing and stuff too is because I think I've, I've never actually done it. I've never done any kind of live action role playing. Um, which is weird. Which is weird. Because of your theater background. Exactly. And I had a, I had a a friend in college who, who did it for whatever reason. I was never invited to, to uh, go (laughs) and tend with her. Um, you know, but she would kind of talk about it. And, uh, I was always fascinated about that blend between, you know, uh, tabletop role playing and theater and how it all worked together. Um, so yeah, I mean, is there any... Obviously, using props and things is, is, is stuff that people are doing now in their games more and more. Um, but what are some other things from that world that, I, that could translate more to, you know, current fans of, of, of playing around a table? Um, you know, the one of the things that I loved about LARPing is the moment that you, the moment that you arrived, you were in character. Mm. Uh, and you got to stay in character the entire time. And so you, you essentially have other people that kind of work as your DM that are there with you and they'll they'll say like you know time out out of character you know just to just to help explain things further um but it was it, it's a, a really immersive experience that you can have at a table you don't have to go out to be to have a really immersive game mm. um so i one of my um old groups um we i used to have a group of people that are visually or audibly in, uh, impaired and one of the reasons that I really, really got into doing props, even on a smaller scale, was instead of me reading, you know, something to, to someone else who can't entirely read their their character sheet, I would just put, like, little potions in front of them and, like, okay, you have this many health potions. Oh. And every time you use one, I take them away. I like you that. Know? Yeah. And just a, a great way to – and it would make them, like, especially with coins, mm. you know, like – give them like a actual sack of of coins and they're like you know it they make it rain in their game which is great <laughs> as because they all you know just piss their money away and, 
end up with virtually nothing. <laughs> but it was fun for everyone involved. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But it was it's it's just a great way to uh, I loved trying to bring LARPing into a table setting uh for my friends that were visually impaired with me. So I, I, I hadn't even thought of the, the, the folks that couldn't interpret, you know, a character sheet and how much those tactile things could, could bring them into the game. I just like yeah. them as the tactile things anyway, yeah. you know, as, 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 uh, uh, as being a part of it. And I, I, one of the, my favorite, and it wasn't even a prop, it was just something that I think I, I collected over time, but I always kept it in my dice bag for when I was dungeon mastering, was a sack of, sack of coins. And yeah. it was the great, it was, I mean, I didn't have a lot of props, but that was the one I could always be like, all right, you get paid, and they throw this at you. And I would usually yeah. literally throw it on the table in front of them, and there was this, like, shock moment where the, the player would be like, what? metal clinking and that thunk as it hits the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just something really powerful about that, and it brings everybody into that, into that moment. Uh, yes. And so uh, I would love for more people to do that. And that's why, you know, partly I was inspired to do some of the stuff during the stream of many eyes was to kind of blend this, this uh, uh, live action role playing with with the the stuff that most people do around the table with costumes and, and things like that. Yeah, uh, I absolutely love it. It's why I get in a costume every time, and and you know even if I'm streaming from my house, I have my own props that I play with the entire time that we're actually live streaming the game. If we're if we're live streaming, because now we don't really. But what is your character? Uh, well, right now I'm uh, because I created Rue is the name of the tiefling cartographer that you can have as an NPC. I'm currently playing her to make sure that I made a character that's playable. (laughs) (laughs) Play testing? Play testing yourself. It's a good exercise for everyone. Really? That sounds wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I am playing myself. (laughs) It's your birthday. (laughs) I'm allowed. allowed. (laughs) It's different than dancing with yourself. (laughs) Is it? <laughs> I don't know. We'll ask Billy Idol. He's going to show up on one of these uh, one of these images behind us pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so I'm currently playing her, so I can kind of get a better feel for because I made her a druid, and I actually made her a level twenty druid because it just made more sense as an NPC because uh, she would be a guide and and uh, able to survive in the local terrain. Right. Um, but I didn't want to take any further points because I don't. I don't want to make like an overpowered NPC. So I took all feats, everything mm. that she leveled up, which was really interesting because I still think I might have accidentally made her a little OP. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, I took some pretty good feats. Yeah, but when you're 20th level, I think that's kind of the, the deal. You're supposed to be overpowered. Yeah. Well, I just didn't want her to be insane because right. also I didn't want to make a character that was so great that everyone's going to mass murder me and steal all my cool stuff oh because you know i was a 14 murder hobo <laughs> and yeah it's like you you walk into a tavern i kill everyone there and i take their stuff maybe rue's stuff automatically disintegrates if something happens to her I it's fantasy her. It can happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't know. I, that's hey, good. You don't know. You that's don't know smart. what kind of magic's on here. That's spoken like a true dungeon master <gasps> over there. Maybe. Yeah, I think I'll have to add that into her character yeah. sheet. Now. There you go. I like she the Codeon. two or three wondrous items. Oh, see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They go with her. Because you're going to have to. You're out traveling the entire world. You're bound to collect some pretty neat stuff. Yeah. That's the whole point of, of uh, many a D&D adventure is to find the fun thing. Yeah. That fun item. And she she will uh, she hires out people to um, 
get her information about uncharted territories so she can actually hire your adventuring party. Oh, I love that. And she sells you stuff too. I like maps. Does she come with maps? Yep. She sells you maps. She sells you um, cartography kits. She sells you the navigational tools. Uh, and she will sell you like she has like potions because she does alchemy and poisons. Oh, she sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, that's like one. I mean, uh, that's a great patron. That's to use as a as a as a quest giver for yeah. all types of things. I've always wanted to start a campaign that was like a Lewis and Clark type type uh, of a thing. Like it's not necessarily you're out to get treasure or anything like that. You just need to get to this area that no one's ever been to before be and yep. and map it room. as much as you can. You need room yeah, to room. send you out on that room. mission. Yeah, I want her to come with me. Yeah. I want to go with you. Come with me, Rue. The Rue and Shelley expedition. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Birthday expedition. Right. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've done some maps, uh, but very dabbled, gosh, dabbled uh, a long time ago. Uh, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what are some, you know, uh, some tips, some tricks, some things that people can can start with uh, in order to feel small accomplishments along the way to get to finally leveled up to level 20 like you are? Uh, I always tell people three things. One, of course, practice makes perfect. I draw every single day. Wow. Uh, there is, I usually draw anywhere from five to 12 hours a day. <gasps> That's insane. Yeah. Um, I love what I do. Absolutely love what I do. Uh, the second thing is don't, don't strive for perfection because there is no such thing, even on our own planet. If you don't believe me, go to Google Earth, mm-hmm. zoom, start all the way out as, you know, when it starts off, you're looking in through space. And as you click in, you'll realize there's very little detail until you're extremely close. Mm. And so that means that if you're drawing a world map, you're really not going to see any of these things. So they can be completely representational. They don't have to be exactly to scale or to size. or So it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be able to tell your story and to intrigue your players enough that they want to explore it. Mm. Uh, and third is, like I said before, you don't know the effects that magic has on your world. So create something unique um, that is just for you and your players. Because ultimately, at least for me as a DM, I want my players to tell their story. I want to create a world that they can go in and explore and everything is going on around them, but their story is ultimately what they decide it should be. And so I just want to give them as much as I possibly can to tell the kind of story that they want. I love that. Yep. And I, I didn't realize until you were talking through that last example how much world building is dovetailed into what you do. Um, yes. But that's a whole other you know thing. Is that how uh, how do you go about building a fantasy world from scratch if if you, you were given that task? I I start with the at the very very beginning. I literally start with it's just a bunch of gas floating through space that's attracted to each other and then. The world forms so I can figure out where the, the fault lines are, where the coastlines would be. And it's just, it's actually just, it, it takes a really short amount of time because I'm just sort of like really quickly sketching everything out. Mm-hmm. But it's enough to tell me that by the time that I want to actually start genuinely like, okay, where are the continents? Where, where is everything? Where, you know, what kind of biomes would be in a particular area? It, it's so much easier to flesh out that way. And then I can actually start with where civilizations start. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, and then this way, because they get a civilization, you know, starts, dies out, gets buried, and then is in another layer of earth as the next, you know, uh, civilization is built on top of that. And that helps you figure out where your dungeons will be, where you'll find runes, where you'll find treasure, oh, where so you'll cool. find artifacts. Uh, and then it helps you decide what parts of those histories are saved or not. And that determines your world's mythology. Okay. That is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. The different layers and how that, that turns into future ruins and dungeons. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and that's, this is stuff I love to go over. So um, I love it when I get to have live streams with my patrons. They ask me some really great questions that they found out I can go on huge tangents on. <laughs> you love what you do. That's no, great. Sounds like, sounds like how I talk to my girls uh, when they ask questions about, like, you know, where do mountains come from? I'm like, Okay, uh, so <laughs> Let's watch plate tectonics. This plate yeah. goes into this one, and then the guy needs to go somewhere, so it pushes up sometimes, or sometimes it pushes down. In that case, you know, you know so like or under or under, yeah, exactly. Um, do your girls really ask you questions like that? They, they did I literally ask me where do mountains come from. I don't get those questions. Uh, they, last week, I got that question. Yeah. And they ask, uh, you know, in general, me and Aaron, and Aaron's like, Greg, what, ask your dad. <laughs> yeah, what is that? I'm like, all right, I can no. tell you as much as I know about it. Let's go. Hmm. And then, it, then we got into earthquakes, and then they get, you know, Fiona they gets get scared, scared of earthquakes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, r- rightly so, but I'm They're that. great for D&D, but not so much for children. Exactly. A good yeah. old cataclysm. I guess yeah, you can I'm, think about that, too, when you're doing your maps. Right. Well, the other thing is, like, I'll tell DMs, like, oh, by the way, you know, this would be in this particular area, you know, or like this type of mountain would cause, would, you know, indicate that there's a lot of seismic activity going on in this, you know, Mm -hmm. like mountains along a coast actually mean that there's more seismic activity was most recent in that uh, area's history. Whether or not they're occurring now, uh, you know, is up to the DM, but it does mean that that occurred the you know the soonest in that world's history. Yeah, and so it it gives him a little bit more of like, oh well, then I could write you know X Y Z in there, and you can actually have natural things occur to your your party instead of everything is just being that the big baddie you know, and magic yeah. and you know it's just it, what are you guys going to do in the middle of an earthquake? Time to throw Magic? an earthquake at your players. Throw That's a what lightning that sounds bolt like. at it. <laughs> throw, a, <laughs> throw a lightning bolt every five minutes up the river. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, dungeon masters are terrifying. They really are. I don't. I didn't, now I've like I've never actually used those as a dungeon master now before. You're Greg, all sorts of yeah, terrible ideas. I know, right? Yeah, there's a lot of players right now, right now that are not letting their DMs watch this stream. <laughs> this I have is, that effect. This is where players come to die. Well, or characters come to die, rather. Uh, yeah, it's they might live. Yeah, you never know. You're a little bit more optimistic there, Greg. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, so where where do you find inspiration for these maps and these worlds? Like, do do you travel a lot and or anywhere to see something cool that's like, oh, that would be a great idea on a map? Or, um, I. I, well, I have traveled extensively in my life, so that's where a lot of it comes from. Um, I used to, to go around essentially with a sketchbook, and if I just saw something really cool, I would like really quickly draw it, or I'd take pictures of it and bring them home and, and sketch those. 
Um, but I have always had an exceedingly wild imagination, um, which up until I started doing this for a living was a very, very downside <laughs> my personality. Uh, just because, you know, I would come up with most fanciful reasons as to why anything happened. Probably didn't make any of my bosses happy. <laughs> yeah, I came up with some pretty good excuses as to why I wasn't into work. Didn't save me from not getting fired, but that isn't the point. <laughs> <laughs> I was up all night making a map, didn't count. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Not anything that, uh, what, for that, for that game you play. <laughs> right. Yeah, you mentioned you playing video games. What, uh, what, what, what type of games do you play? Uh, all RPGs. Oh, okay. Um, I'm a huge Elder Scrolls fan, and that's actually what uh, the internet first discovered me by. Mm. Uh, Skyrim came out, and I drew a map because the map that came with the game didn't look anything like the map that was in the game. Right. And I was like, I have to fix this. I need a prop <laughs> map, you know. And so I did. So I drew it, and uh, I started posting it, and then I got a bunch of people like, you draw maps. Can you draw me? Well, first it started off with everyone me draw maps of established worlds, which copyright, sorry, you know. Um, but then it was like, well, can you draw a map of my world? I was like, I can, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Why not? If I can draw a map of one world, I can draw it of another. And it just started to snowball from there. Mm. The reason I, I, I mean, there's a new civilization coming out soon and i was like oh you mentioned civilization a couple of times uh, and i was like i wonder if she plays civilization because it's yes. a very map heavy game yeah um i don't play nearly as much as i do elder scrolls online now because mm. i'm i'm still i need my elder scrolls fix and yeah. they haven't come out with anything since 2011 yeah and i need the next dragon age as well that's true yeah so if they could just get on it that'd be great inquisition did so good at mapping in a way too and having the map be that focal point for the players to to you know exact change on the on the on the world uh yes i love that because it was a very fantasy thing to me oh yeah i mean the biggest reason i love elder scrolls is you just get to explore you don't even have to do quests yeah you could just go and explore and you'll find an insane amount of stuff they hide easter eggs all over their games mm-hmm uh, just really cool things that you will randomly come across, which is, you know, obviously things that I love. So that's one of the biggest reasons why I love that that franchise so much. How cool would it be if there was a and a d uh, world, uh, like Forgotten Realms version of, of trying to do something like that? I, uh, you know, if you guys want to do it, I am all over that map. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we'll put you at the top of the list for that, for sure. Ed uh, actually has one of my maps of Faerun. Really? Yeah. Uh, somebody uh, contacted me to make a birthday gift for him. Wow. To make the map of Faerun on leather. So he's a huge leather map of Faerun in his writing uh, office. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, on I cried leather. a little Yeah. Wow. How big, how big was it? Um, I think it's like three feet wide. Wow. Yeah, and it was all hand done, and it took an insane amount of time. Is leather not a good medium for maps? <laughs> leather is a horrible medium for maps, despite what people really want. It's horrible. Uh, not only will it dry and, and crack, and eventually, um, even if it, it, there are a lot of upkeep. Uh, so most maps actually were never drawn on, on leather. They And parchment, it's actually animal skin. Mm. 
uh, which most people don't know. They think it's like a form of paper, and it's I didn't not. Know that. Yeah. Did you know that? So, I did not know that. Yeah, it's animal skin, and uh, so it also had its problems. Uh, although it would last a little bit longer than paper that was too thin, but most maps were drawn on cloth. Mm. Yeah. Back in back in fantasy mm. times, I guess. Yes, which is why the master maps are on cloth because it's it's the best medium. It, it takes a lot to get it printed, but it's the best medium to have them done on. Hmm. And you know. can wash them. They get dirty after a long adventure. Well, especially when you're taking them into the dungeon, right? Getting yeah. dusty. Yep. Yeah. yeah, mostly. Or you know, once you were sitting around drinking beers, one of you knocks it over. <laughs> That's a much better thing. I was that. I was gonna say if you you know if you get a big scary dragon in your face, you know, and you're carrying your map. Yeah, I can't guarantee you can get blood stains off them though. Sorry, That's not where he was going. <laughs> All kinds of poop. different poop problems. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> I am so right. happy I don't play in one of your games. <laughs> it's it's all okay. poop jokes. It really is. <laughs> right back to being fourteen. I'm there. Yeah. I know, right? We're all Phallic we're all symbols and poop. We're young at heart. Yeah. Well, uh, I am fascinated. I love the fact that you have turned this into a career. Uh, Me too. And I want, uh, you know, not necessarily do you have competitors, but I want more people to, to join in this, uh, you know, love of creating props and maps. I cannot possibly make enough maps for everybody. So, yeah, by all means, uh, this is why I teach other people how to make maps. I love that. I'm only one person. Come <laughs> join me. For now. How, uh, so how can people, you know, watch your streams, join your Patreon, you know, give us, give us the spiel. Yeah, everything is under Devin Rue all over the internet. So you can find me at patreon.com slash Devin Rue, twitch.com Devin Rue, twitter.com Devin Rue, everything. One name, super simple. Nice. Just spell it correctly. <laughs> that's that's an important yes. step. Uh, yeah, but it's an O or an I in it. Even that's pretty simple. Well, I mean, maybe through the, the pronunciation, but D E V A N R U E. Is it A N or E N? E. Same. Damn it, I screwed it up already. Yeah. Darn it. I, I screwed it up seven, earlier. but with a D. <laughs> Devin. <laughs> it'll, be in, it'll be in the show notes. You'll be able to, yeah. to, to, to re- <laughs> interpret it better than you can from my voice, because I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah, just don't spell it wrong. What's the first thing Greg does? <laughs> don't. <laughs> I know. Do well, I was going out on a limb. I was, was like, I think us. I got it because I was like, you know, if you're calling people out for spelling it wrong, you should spell it. But, you know, all right, it's my fault. I'm a terrible person. Uh, it has been a joy uh, up until this point talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> it and was. It was great till that point. Yeah, I know, right? It's all downhill from now, unfortunately. Right. She's never uh, but now. you're awesome. I, again, I've always been a big fan of your work, and uh, I want to be able to splurge and commission you when you get time for more commissions uh, in the future. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I think I, I think you said you have like a backlog of like two years at this point, right? Whoa. Yeah, now I'm at two years. Yeah. <gasps> I was at four years. Um, but amazingly, I got through more than I expected last year. So I'm at almost two years. Yes. Isn't that insane? Well, you'll have time to save your money. That's right. (laughs) Saving it up. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That's right. Uh, Well, it's fantastic, and uh, folks should definitely join into uh, your Patreon to get all of those maps uh, as part of that. And the live streams. And the live streams. Yeah, for sure. Learn learn a thing or two. Learn it. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll we'll talk to you in the yeah. future time. Thank Have you so a much wonderful birthday! Yes, and happy birthday! <laughs> 
that was a really fascinating interview. Totally. I love uh, picking the, the brain of someone who is uh, uber talented about something that I, I have a passing interest in. I just think it's cool that, like, She's got these skills and that this is an area that exists that she can use those skills. Exactly. Like it's actually like not just like she there is a need for what she does. It's amazing. It is amazing. And uh, we appreciate all of the work uh, that goes into it. And I think I might be ordering some maps pretty soon. I think you should be taking some classes. Well, I mean, I don't think I'll be ever to get get to that level. I want to be able to, uh, you know, support the community of artists that are making stuff out there. So. I might, I might purchase some. Is what Do I'm it. saying. Do you know, I got a. Uh, you know, we had Ted Williams on the podcast last year. I think he's yeah. a fantasy author that I've always loved. Um, and for his new book, he put together a uh, you know a bunch of swag around his thing. And one of them was a map uh, that is foil and amazing and I got it nicely framed it's up in up in my place and I'm like really? oh this is so great and now I want to do more fantasy maps as artwork in, well, in, in my home they are beautiful they are beautiful how does your wife feel about this she likes it okay. yeah because I mean she likes maps too like in kind of in general so now in our in our bathroom we have some subway maps from uh, from New York and London and, and Paris and stuff and nice. so yeah getting into it cool yeah We'll be doing more fantasy stuff. All right. Yeah, making it happen. Decorate Tito's house. That's right. map's coming. Uh, so uh, during the live portion of this podcast, we were giving away tons of Avalon Hill stuff uh, yeah. in, in honor of your birthday. And some D&D stuff. And, and some D&D Dungeon stuff. Dungeon Mayhem. So we got Dungeon Mayhem. And some WizKid stuff. If you haven't picked up Dungeon Mayhem, you totally should. It's a great Mahem. game. Maham. Dungeon Mahem. Uh, to bring people into the D&D universe. It's bright, beautiful. wonderful colors, perfect for families. Uh, young kids can play this. Young kids can play it. Because and love it. it's all about the iconography. And it is a really good introduction yes. to D&D. I would love it too. Actually, anyone who... Anyone. Dungeon Mayhem's for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, we've got uh, Betrayal Legacy, which is a fantastic storytelling game. We're in, like, episode, what, three or four? Four. Yeah. Lots of betrays. We survived, though, happened. the last... Our last... We uh, did. Chapter was yeah. the first time we, we, the heroes. We destroyed won. the traitor uh, almost quickly. Sorry, Pelham, about baby Billy. <laughs> He's not okay. He's Pelham very, is still the very best person to play games with. He is. He's true. just That's the best true. role player. Yeah, and he. And there's a lot of role playing in Betrayal Legacy. Killed my character dead many times in Betrayal Legacy so far. So can't wait to see where it goes. This from is now. Billy. He's <laughs> hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it was creepy. I definitely had chills when he said that too. I know. Yeah. Basically, he's creepy. So and I like that he was instructed to introduce Billy lovingly I know. to the group. <laughs> Shout out. To, I don't, I'm not sure if it was Rob that wrote that note, but, you know. Rob's I, pretty creepy. I like adding the role-playing notes to Betrayal. Oh, like yeah. Scene. Yeah. I mean, those were kind of there in the Betrayal ones, but, like, I feel like he's specifically calling out emotions and how you should betray things yes. uh, in, in Betrayal Legacy, which is awesome. That game is just, it's just so good. It is so good. And it's different every single time I know every people time encounter it. it. The legacy deck instructs us to do something and like that thing exists. I'm like, oh, I can't believe this works. It's like it's kind of like having a dungeon master. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is definitely that blend of board game and mm-hmm. uh, role playing campaign, uh, which I think people are hungry for. Show. Hungry no more. Hungry no more. Because that game exists. So uh, go get it. So in D&D world, we've got uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. If you want to play in the Magic universe uh, as a D&D role player, uh, I know a lot of people similarly have always wanted to do that and have more role playing in their 
uh, Magic, you know, they're a fan of Magic the Gathering lore, uh, so you can totally do that. Um, we have lots of uh, shows uh, that have showed off that uh, type of thing, including the Broken Pact, <coughs> uh, which we'll be bringing back for a season two very soon uh, in on the D&D Twitch channel, uh, as well as, uh, what's the name of the, lo- the Loading Ready One thing? It's got a cool pun name. No, the... the by law and order. Oh, that's good. Which just makes me giggle every single time I see it, but I just want to make sure I got it right uh, before I did that. So thank you, Pelham, for by law and order, and that's uh, on the D&D Twitch channel as well. Uh, Dungeon Mastered by uh, Kathleen DeVere, and, uh, someone I've, I've known and worked with uh, for a long, long time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, she. Uh, lo- I've always loved the Loading Ready Run crew out of uh, Victoria. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I think that's all I want to kind of throw out there. Shelly, how can people find out about you and what's happening in Avalon Hill world? Well, you can follow Avalon Hill on Twitter at Avalon Hill 2, the number 2, or follow me on Twitter at Shelly Moo, or read my Bachelor Recaps on Facebook, or at my website, at, which is ShellyMazanoble.com, but you can follow me on Facebook at Shelly Mazanoble Writer. 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 Extraordinary. Writer of Bachelor Recaps, <laughs> which is kind of all the writing I do these days. Have, have you ever verged into fanfic for Bachelor Bachelor fanfic? fanfic? No. Imagine no. if you kept making recaps after the show ended. Oh my god! Do it, and then I could. I don't have to wait for the the episode. See, it, okay. Just imagine what would have happened on you know the next episode. And Ryan the next episode. and I know what happens. <laughs> <That's not good>. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. That is true. Uh, you can follow me at Greg Tito. Uh, I'm uh, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Uh, I've been posting lots of fun pictures there, including the one of the sunset the other day. Oh my here god, in that Seattle. sunset was bonkers! It was just amazing. I saw so many different pictures of it, uh, and the crows flying in front of it. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, follow me there. And then if you want to find out more about what's happening in the world of D and D, uh, dragon plus is your best option. Yes. Get it on your, uh, iOS or Android device. It's, it's app. It, it has a whole bunch of bi- content that comes out bi-monthly, uh, about, uh, the thing that you love, uh, you know, thing you love. it's the articles and interviews with people in the D and D community, creators, uh, such as folks at uh, WizKids or, or, or other um, you know, D&D partners. Uh, it's definitely stuff that you're, you're excited about. Uh, so check it out if you can. And then you can look up that same exact content on the web at dragonmag.com. Uh, and then, Easy. of course, the website for all things is dungeonsanddragons.com, uh, where we post all this fun stuff. And like I said in the uh, intro... Please do, make a review, tell people, give us some stars uh, about Dragon Talk. We want to get the word out about this podcast as much as possible going forward. Uh, it's one thing we don't always tout about, uh, but tell your friends if you like yeah. us uh, or if you like Shelly. We like you. Yeah, we like you. And uh, we, we love uh, hearing all that feedback on Twitter and other places. So you rock. You and uh, with that, I would just like to um, take a look at in this cavern over here. Okay. Do you what's, see? What's up I think there's a... A loose thread? A loose thread. I'm just going to pull on it. Okay. And then, oh, oh, no. Oh, oh, all of the dice came out oh. onto my face. You didn't swallow any of them, did you? 